Come, they told me, pa rum pum pum pum. Baby Yezu, pa rum pum pum pum. I am an investment banker with two mortgages and no Christmas bonus, pa rum pum pum pum. There's 324 days until Christmas, and you're listening to the Christmas of a Lifetime. Let's bring the Christmas spirit in the air, the air. Let's turn the lights down low. And make some hot cocoa and watch the falling snow. And look at the beautiful Christmas lights. Look at our favorite Christmas movies. Buy the presents under the Christmas tree. Hello, and welcome back to your favorite podcast, The Christmas of a Lifetime. I'm your host, Jacob Osterman, and with me, as always, is my brother, Jesse Austin Brenneman. Hello, Jesse. Merry Christmas, Jacob. We're over here in Southeast Michigan. It's the beginning of February. It's just continuing the Christmas season. We're going to have a winter storm coming through. Uh, and as you know, in our household, there is a family rule that every time it physically snows... We have hot chocolate. So we've been stocking up on hot chocolate ingredients in order to make sure that we are ready in case, you know, the power goes out. We have alternative fuel sources. Did you get your black angel, Jesse, to go on top of the tree so that you can keep the electricity on? Jacob, unfortunately, it was in my luggage and the airline lost my luggage. So it's not here. Off to send you one of mine. You have to send me one of yours because, look... That's the only way to get the power back on. It keeps the lights on. Um, so yeah, we don't we don't have we don't have the the uh, magical power bringing Black Angel Christmas tree topper. But we should. Do you at least have uh, peppermint candy canes to stir the hot chocolate with, Jesse? Jacob, I have a lot of different peppermint flavored things, including candy Wonderful. canes, multiple Wonderful. sizes. Depends on what size mug you have. That's you very know, true. You're going to want to go with true. a larger candy cane, a smaller candy cane. <laughs> well. It's good to talk to you again. Of course, we're here this week to discuss another of Lifetime's original Christmas movies. Our show, as you all no doubt know by now, we discuss each week a new Lifetime original Christmas movie. And this week, we're going to be discussing one that is very near and dear to my heart and that I valued greatly. But, mm-hmm. you know, before we get into the into the Lockhams, as, as we call them, uh, before we get into the Lockhams, we like to have a little bit of a stocking stuffer, where we talk about a little bit of trivia, a little amuse-bouche, if you will, to wet our whistle for all of the information that we're about to receive and to talk about. So, Jesse, do you have any stocking stuffers for us today? I do, Jake. As you know, I love the stocking stuffer. I love getting into the the details, the obscure facts about these movies, Lifetime Original Christmas movies that we've been watching. And this week, I think it's inevitable in our discussion that we're going to be comparing to number eight on our list, Merry Little Christmas. Absolutely. There's a lot of similarities here, not just the predominantly black cast. It's true. But the main comparison here, of course, is that the lead character and sort of driver for this movie existing is played by the actress and singer, multi-hefinite star, Tony Braxton. And Merry Little Christmas is driven by Kelly Rowland, of course, former member of Destiny Child, also with a solo career. Mm-hmm. So 
besides the all-black cast, I think we have leading ladies who are very similar. But I wanted to look in another realm, before we get into that discussion, I wanted to look in the realm of Christmas albums, because both of them did release Christmas albums, and in fact, (laughs) released Christmas tracks, which are then used in their respective Lifetime Original Christmas movies. And so last week we talked about the Christmas banger that mm-hmm. is Love You More at Christmas Time from Kelly Rowland, which was was a great track. That was a bop. But I wanna, that was a bop, Jesse. Yeah. Look, I want to talk about Tony Braxton, I think, wins hands down in the Christmas album category. Now, Destiny's Child did release Eight Days of Christmas, which is a classic and classic it's, Christmas album. Jesse, it's not fair to compare because that has Beyonce in it, and obviously Beyonce's going to knock it out of the park. So what you, you can't stack up to that. I don't care who you are. What I find interesting about this comparison is that Tony Braxton has not only released the Braxton Family Christmas album w- recorded with her sisters, mm-hmm. but Tony Braxton, as part of her main filmography, released Snowflakes, which did do very very well and and is one of her it's the fourth studio album released by her and did quite well released back in 2001 now if we think about eight days of christmas another you know from kelly rowland destiny's child she hasn't released her own studio album under her solar name as a christmas one and just has released these singles as sort of a steady clip so i think we're gonna have to give the christmas album championship here to tony braxton who is the originator of this mold so I think very, very similar in lots of ways. But I think, you know, if we think just from a Christmas perspective, we're going to talk about the movies, which one was more Christmassy, which one was better. Mm-hmm. But I think Tony Braxton wins in the music department. And that is my stocking stuff for you today. Yes, hundreds of thousands of albums, Christmas albums sold by both of them. But I think the winner... Tony Braxton. So let's see how the film that's, stacks up. That's interesting. That's not what I would have expected you to say coming into this conversation, Jesse. I know. As which one is the peak track? I don't know. We haven't. We can't decide that yet. Yeah. But as a complete over, if you will. Yeah. Right. The holistically, I think we have to give it to Tony Braxton here. Well, that's very interesting. I myself have a stocking stuff. Now, as longtime listeners of this podcast will know. I am a huge Charles Dickens fan, and Christmas mm-hmm. Carol is one of my absolute favorites of his works. Weirdly so. Weirdly, you're... It's, it's not I weird. feel like he has better works. He, he does. I, I, would, I would agree with that. But A Christmas Carol, for what it is... Wuthering is Heights, for example. <laughs> Pride and Prejudice, another, another Charles Dickens banger. Uh, uh, for, for what it is, I, I would say that Christmas Carol is one of his greatest works. But what was interesting to me is how deeply A Christmas Carol has affected our popular culture. Of course, there are a ton of wonderful Christmas Carol adaptations. We're going to talk about one today. But there's there's also... I I found a list. There's maybe like 53 of them. Yeah. There's a Muppet Christmas Carol. There's Great movie. uh, Just lots of different ones. But perhaps the most far-reaching example of how A Christmas Carol affected the culture is that the phrase Merry Christmas doesn't originate with Dickens, but A Christmas Carol was the first major cultural piece of content to actually use it. 
the phrase Merry Christmas had been used before, but it wasn't until it was in A Christmas Carol that people really started going around saying, Merry Christmas to you, Merry Christmas to you. And I think that that's had a lot of effect, especially when we look at stuff like the Lifetime Original Christmas movies, which rely incredibly heavily on the phrase Merry Christmas. Our podcast itself, we open every podcast saying Merry Christmas. Exactly. So we should be, should we be paying royalties to the Dickens estate? I, I think that it, from now on, at the end of every episode, I'm just going to say, an, and a special shout out to Charles Dickens for popularizing the phrase Merry Christmas. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we mm-hmm. owe him that much at least. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> By the way, before, before I lose this thought, is A Muppet's Christmas Carol the best Muppets movie? Uh, see, Muppet's Treasure Island is out there, so... Jacob, this blasphemy. Muppets Christmas know. Carol is the best Muppets very movie. Good, very good. Hands down, the the Ghost of Christmas Present is a great Muppet. I love that one. Hands down, it, best it's, one. It's a Jim fantastic Henson. movie. Jim, the Jim Henson comp- Company's best work. Maybe, maybe we do that one for a special bonus episode next year. Who knows? Today, we're going to be talking about a very special movie. And let's get into the reason for the season. Jesse, every week we talk about a different Lifetime original Christmas movie, and this week Mm -hmm. is no exception. Mm -hmm. The reason for the season this week is a movie called Every Day is Christmas, starring Tony Braxton as Alexis. When I started watching this movie, what I found really striking, having just watched Merry Little Christmas, and we're now watching these back-to-back, is that it starts almost exactly the same way. We have this aerial tracking shot over the city. It's now Atlanta, Georgia, and a fun little game is to try and identify what city they're in because they almost never mention exactly what city they're in. Uh, Sweet Mountain Christmas did and, and mentioned Baxter Mountain, Tennessee a lot. Um, but we have these exterior locations to localize it, but then not actually ever say where we are. We're in Atlanta, Georgia. We see a car driving around. We see, you know, shots of Christmas, maybe some stock film f- footage. Maybe we can track <laughs> that back. And then it pans over the name, just as it in, in Merry Little Christmas, it pans over little by little. In this one, it is Taylor Financials. So we see the logo. So a lot of, you know, graphic design work establishing the setting. Mm-hmm. This is a career businesswoman who owns her own company. And so like the first maybe two to three minutes seemed almost exactly the same as Merry Little Christmas. And, and I was quite shocked by that. I think that it really speaks to the formula and to the how well established the Lifetime original Christmas movie machine is. That they can have some of these scenes that are not critical to the movie but are more establishing are you know shot basically in the same way. And that it allows them to concentrate more on other parts of the movie that are more critical. Uh, we'll get to those scenes in a, in a minute. Well, you know what else I think here, Jacob, is that watching these movies is going to make me personally an expert on identifying landmarks in different major U.S. cities. So I'm going to be able to tell immediately if I fly somewhere. I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh, I see that uh, we're now in Atlanta, Georgia. There's the there's the Ferris wheel. There's the you know all the different sort of highway structures and and large buildings. Also, the plane has a map on the seat back TV that'll tell you which city. I never. Jacob, I'm watching live TV. I'm watching the Lifetime Network. I'm never on that map screen. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, Fair enough. So, so we'll see. 
Uh, anyways, so, <laughs> yeah, so this is how I felt watching it. I was like, oh, is this going to be just exactly the same movie that we watched before? And I was sort of locked in, getting ready mm-hmm. for more my stress levels to start to go up, to have more of this, uh, <laughs> you know, family disagreements that we, we had in the last movie. But I was pleasantly surprised by the end. And just spoiler alert, I like this one a lot more than yes. I like Merry Little Christmas. This one was a great improvement, and I think it it owes no small amount of that improvement to the source material. You know, I have some quibbles with this movie and how it adapted A Christmas Carol, but by sticking to a formula that's even, I would say, more tried and true than the Lifetime original Christmas movie formula, Every Day is Christmas managed to really reach some emotional depths, which these other movies that we've watched, some of them have really struggled with. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. All right, so Jacob, so we see the car pull up, and then we meet Michael J. White's character, Justin. Justin. And yeah, I love Michael J. White. I love straight to TV uh, and DVD action movies, of which Michael J. White is the undisputed king. MJW, they they call him on that podcast. Yeah, on our straight to DVD movie <laughs> podcast, which we should start sometime in the future. He just exudes a lot of confidence, a lot of power, mm-hmm. and that kind of really quiet self-assuredness in this film that I really appreciate. I think he's like, what if Steven Seagal was actually good at acting? <laughs> I mean, that's that's sort of like similar <laughs> levels of output of action movies and similar types of action movies, but I actually enjoy watching them. So yes, we meet him and they have this interaction and already... I was like, this is going to be good. I'm locked in. This is going to be great. Very Christmassy. Yeah. Alexis is a, what we now know to be a very standard kind of LOCM character. She is a very high powered financial businesswoman. She runs a finance company. And as soon as we start off the movie, we see that she has some serious issues with Christmas. Michael J. White, Justin, her driver, he's dropping her off at her office and he says, hey, you know, do you want me to come pick you up early? What's the deal here? And she says, absolutely not. You know it's Christmas. You know I'm going to be working as late as possible. She says six, changes it to eight. She does not want to go home. She's not interested in listening to him talk about Christmas or put on Christmas music and immediately just heads into the office. This is a, I would say, a very different kind of businesswoman than we've seen in the past. We've seen real estate lawyers. We've seen country music stars. Alexis in this movie is a financial investment planner. She is doing serious, high-value trades in her company, and markets are moving based off of what she's deciding here. So she gets into the office, and... People start coming up to her and asking, what are your plans for Christmas? What are you doing? And she immediately becomes upset. First thing she does is says, why is everyone planning Christmas holidays? We didn't hit our numbers. We were supposed to grow 20%. We only made 12% growth this year. Everybody, your Christmas is canceled. No Christmas bonus. No Christmas vacation. I expect to see you in here tomorrow morning, Christmas morning, 9 a.m., ready for a business, which to me is already crazy because on Christmas, the markets are closed. So it's not like they could do anything anyway. Yeah. In fact, this is Christmas Eve that we're seeing here. Yeah. Correct. And the markets close early on Christmas Eve. 
Yeah. So uh, why is anyone working after 2 p.m.? I, I don't know. I think I think the movie wants us to associate her, of course, with old Ebenezer, uh, the classic Scrooge archetype. And she really lives up to it. Old Ebenezer? Is this like, there's like a technical <laughs> term? Is there a yes. young Ebenezer archetype that's different? Yes, I mean, I'm going to defer to you. Jesse, there is a young Ebenezer archetype, and he is the young Ebenezer that we see in Christmas Past in A Christmas Carol who is full of joy and cheer. I know that you wrote your undergraduate thesis on Christmas Carol, so I'm going to defer to you on this one. But uh, I, <laughs> You, you asked sure me that I've as heard... a joke, and then there was an actual answer, Jesse. <laughs> you come at me with a Christmas Carol knowledge. Uh, well, I mean, I'm just, it, was come a, on. it was a real question. It was a real question. I wanted to know. You're, the, you're our resident uh, Christmas Carol expert. I've only read the abridged version, Jacob. That's my How point. How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> so Alexis returns to her office. She is greeted by her boyfriend, played by Mike DePud. I think I think it's DePud. Yeah, uh, Mike DePud, who is playing Mark, and Mark has planned a wonderful trip to Bali for her. He is going to take her to a wonderful resort and show her the time of her life this Christmas because they've been dating for. Uh, a almost a year, and mm-hmm. he's looking forward to taking her out. And she, in response to this, and for reasons which are not really made clear to either Mark or to us as the audience, she dumps him. She says, I'm not interested in going to Bali. This, this is yeah. too much. Just get out of my office. We're done. I mean, he lo- she looked at the hat that he bought her and the swimsuit that he bought her, and yeah. I think I would have broken up with him. <laughs> Frankly, I, like those do not go together. And if you think I'm wearing that at an all-inclusive resort, you're it's, out of your damn mind. It's a little presumptuous to buy a swimsuit for for your partner and say, "I, I expect you to wear this while we're while we're out of." Yeah, Bali. is it a present a for you or is it a present for yourself? Yes, I mean, who is exactly. it for here? Exactly, that's the question we're asking. So I'm <laughs> with her on this one. Let's get rid of Mark. So she spends the day doing undisclosed, un- unknown financial dealings. Mm-hmm. And quickly, it grows dark outside, and Justin drives her home. He spends the ride trying to convince her to enjoy the holiday. He takes her to a Christmas tree light house, which I thought was actually interesting. We haven't seen this much before in uh, LOCMs. The idea that their house is decorated specifically for Christmas. It's something that I really enjoy about the holiday. A lot of the people in my neighborhood have very elaborate Christmas decorations. We've seen Christmas decorating of the house, notably in Sweet Mountain Christmas, where she breaks into someone's house to decorate it for them. But we haven't seen this tradition of driving around to look at the lights of other people's houses. Yes. Which is something that I do. There's actually a, a famous house about three blocks from mine that... You can tell it's on, it's a parallel street to the main road, mm-hmm. and you can see the lights across, <laughs> you can see the houses across the street from the house that's decorated, lit up with like a pale blue light, because there are so <laughs> many lights. So you don't even see the main lights, you're just seeing the reflected light, like the moon. So these houses across <laughs> the street are like the moon that you can see from the main road, right? So it's Look, definitely I'm... a lot of... Christmas I'm buying blackout here. curtains for my neighbors if that's my house, all right? I think that just to be neighborly, you're going to put on I would add like more lights. They have <laughs> a lot of lights. We'll we'll tweet out some pictures, but it's it's pretty incredible. <laughs> anyway, uh so 
Justin takes her to this house and he's trying to show it to her. He's trying to get her to get out of the car and take a look at the house and just enjoy Christmas for once. And Alexis... We had a conversation about this (laughs) while we were watching. Yeah, it's a little weird. It's a little weird. I thought it was a bit presumptuous of your driver, who you are employing, (laughs) to drive you to places that you want to go to. It's It's out out of the way. way. She looks around. She's like, where are we? I was like, is she going to get killed right now? What's (laughs) happening? Why did he drive her to a location that she was, A, unprepared for and did not want to go to? That seems like not within his job description. Yeah. We'll learn more about why he did it towards the end of the movie. But Mm. the important thing plot-wise is that she sees somebody lurking in and amongst the Christmas angels. uh, Mm -hmm. The lit up silhouettes of angels towards the back. And she is visibly shaken by this. She says, look, I'm not getting out of the car. I need to go home. We need, take me home right now. Justin, disappointed, but acquiesces to her request. He takes her home. She travels upstairs to her penthouse suite and eats cold Chinese food and drinks wine as her Christmas Eve dinner before going to bed. What I really appreciated in this sequence is that there's a very palpable sorrow that comes across in what she's doing. Not just because she's eating cold Chinese food, which you could at the very least have some delivered for you, but we see that her home is empty. There is minimal decorations. She opens the fridge. The fridge has no food in it besides the cold Chinese food. Mm -hmm. And that emptiness of her home mirrors the emptiness now of her life. She doesn't have any strong, meaningful relationships in her life. And I thought that it was portrayed really, really well to get that across so quickly into the movie. And without her having to say, man, I'm really lonely, I'm really sad, it comes Mm -hmm. out naturally in her actions and in the set design. And I really appreciated that. It's not something we see in every one of these movies. Yeah, you know, I think it really captures that phrase, money can't buy you happiness, which, let's Mm -hmm. be clear here, is not about people that don't have money. Like, that phrase is only (laughs) applied to people with lots of money, right? So the saying really is trying to capture this idea of, like, hey, you can have a lot of money and be unhappy. Yes. Unfortunately, a lot of people believe that the contrapositive is also true. Yes. Which, you know, may be true in some situations, but certainly money helps us eat and maintain our sort of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the lower ones. But to be clear here, like, I think it did do a great job of sort of that she's been very, very successful financially, owning her own Mm -hmm. financial investment firm, but she's not making connections. She's not fulfilled at a relationship level. And I think that was well established without a lot of show, but don't tell, right? And this is something that's I also think is very important specifically for these Lifetime Original Christmas movies. I'm going to counterpoint this with uh, Sweet Mountain Christmas, in which we see that the main character of that movie is very happy with Mm -hmm. herself and with her relationships and where she is in her life. She's looking at making a change, but, you know, she's gotten to where she is and she's pretty happy about it. And then the movie says, no, you're not happy The only way to be happy is by doing these other things and going back to your hometown and falling in love. This movie is saying, here's a person who actually is unhappy. Jacob, hold on a second. To be fulfilled, you do need a partner with 17 (laughs) jobs, though. I mean, that's clear. I think if if you can get a snowplow man slash mayor slash architect, then I think that's going to make you happy, you know, whoever you are. But 
the, there's, I think, a... As long as you don't of, also own a 2017 Hyundai accent. Because that is... <laughs> Those are like, not, not equipped to handle snow. But I just, I think that there's a lot of this kind of false sentiment in some of these movies that people who look happy and who are ostensibly happy in their lives are actually truly unhappy, but they just don't know it yet. Whereas in this movie, she is unhappy, she does know it, and she shows it in all of her actions and her dialogue and where she lives and how she interacts. Right, so let's compare this to, say, Merry Little Christmas, right? So in Merry Little Christmas, Kelly Rowland has a successful firm. She's successful financially, but she also seems to be fine sort of where she is. She's not ready to date. She's like, look, I'm sort of where I am. I'm working on this deal. I've got other things going on. And she's made unhappy by the fact that her family is crazy. Yeah. Whereas here, we're seeing that she's actually, her life, although outwardly successful, isn't really producing joy within her own life. Yes. That, I think, is a key difference. And I think something that really improves this movie in comparison to the last two that we've watched. Yes. So it's at this point where she's gone to bed that the movie really turns into the Christmas Carol adaptation that we all were waiting for because Alexis wakes up and who does she see at the foot of her bed, but the ghost of Christmas past her own mother, Lydia played by Gloria Rubin. This is a delightful scene, by the way, delightful. (laughs) It is a wonderful scene. She's sitting at the foot of her bed and Alexis wakes up and does what I think any of us would do in this moment. She freaks out. She runs into the bathroom, closes and locks the door, and is... Wonders if she's having a mental breakdown. Yeah, right? she pinches herself. She's like, am I dreaming? No, I'm, I'm clearly awake. Uh, she starts interrogating her mother, saying, how do I know you're really my mother and not some lookalike who is trying to trap me or confuse me in order to gain access to this my is how- vast financial empire? Because this is how you would react when you do not believe that ghosts can exist. Exactly. You're looking for logical explanations. And as another great English writer once said, once you've eliminated all the possible, the only thing that remains, regardless of how implausible, is the impossible. Was that that Charlotte Bronte? (laughs) Charlotte Bronte (laughs) said that, I think. I think it was a, I think it was from Frankenstein. I think it was a Mary Shelley. Oh, uh, Mary Shelley. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, mm-hmm. after she's convinced that Lydia really is her mother by virtue of some information about her favorite food, her childhood friends, what she was like growing up, Alexis's first reaction after deciding that this really is her mother is joy and sadness and grief all wrapped up in one emotion where she just goes to her mother and just hugs her just as like i can't believe it's finally you i've been i've missed you for years years and we learn that tony braxley doing some excellent acting work here by the way really believable uh going through a roller coaster of emotions seeing the ghost of your dead mother being able to interact with this ghost um and in a tangible way hug your mother after she has passed away. Um, Just amazing stuff. I think the other thing here, before we move further into the plot of this movie, Jacob, Mm -hmm. is to bring up the central tension of our podcast that has been going on for now nine episodes. I want to name, I want to name the giant polar bear in the room here, Jacob. Okay. Okay. Okay, I want to name the giant polar bear with a bottle of Coca-Cola that's here in the room with us. 
Yeah. How many ghosts should Christmas Carol have? Okay. All right. Now Jesse. we've been we've been arguing about this for a while. It's okay. been a couple episodes, but this has been a lifelong argument between us. Jesse? Yes. You need three ghosts of Christmas because each ghost represents something distinct and each of those ghosts is equally important. They okay. So here is here is the thing. I have always argued that only a single ghost is necessary because as soon as you realize that the afterlife is real, you should get the moral message that I should change my life because there are eternal consequences to the way I behave now. I don't think you need three ghosts. Like you should learn like why do why does Ebenezer Scrooge need the ghost of Christmas future to realize, oh, you know what? Maybe I should be something different now. I understand rule of threes, good storytelling, all of these things. But I'm saying that from a, I want to convince this person to change their life. If you could convince me through the apparition of a ghost, you it wouldn't need to happen three times. It could happen once, and I would Jesse. be like, oh my god, I need you, to treat people you nicer. Buffoon. You buffoon. All right. So, anyways, you've missed my you've point missed the central here. Point of the my, of the of the Christmas Carol, Jesse. When the first ghost appears. Ebenezer Scrooge does not believe that it's a ghost. He says, it's just an undigested lump of potato. In order to fully have the lesson get through to him, he needs to be presented with the actuality of the situation, both the past and the present, and then to see those consequences in the future. If he doesn't have those consequences, if he doesn't see what's going to happen to him, he's not going to internalize the message. We're dealing with a man who is very very old who is not who who is set in his ways who has been a miser his entire life you don't just change because someone appears in front of you and rattles your change that's what the book is saying is that yeah but what happened to understand what happens in the scene with her and her mother she's completely shook she's completely (laughs) changed just from seeing like she's shook the first time that she sees the mother behind the angel she's like oh my god this is freaking me out and that's when she sort of that's the undigested potato yeah Yes. This speaks to, I think, a difference in how this movie is adapting A Christmas Carol because the purpose, of the, the purpose of the ghosts in this movie <laughs> is not the purpose of the ghosts in, a Christmas, in the original book. Yeah. In this movie, the reason why Alexis is the way she is, and we learn this in just a moment, the reason she is the way she is is very different than why Scrooge is the way he is. And so the way the ghosts interact with our main characters in those two stories is very different. Mm. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, I think that this movie just brings up this argument in such a clear way that as soon as I saw that the ghost, like, so at first I was like, oh, the mom's going to be like the Bob Marley character and we're going to get Ghost of Christmas Past, Ghost of Christmas Future, Ghost of Christmas Present, all of these things that you're discussing. But then when it turns out... When it turns out that she is also the ghost of Christmas past and the Marley ghost, I was like, "Uh uh-oh, this is going to be a one-ghost situation. I'm going to be proven correct yet again, Uh, and and we'll see where this goes. But I want to bring up that this is the the number of ghosts is a real key thing. Now, we saw from the very first episode of our podcast, right, you never want to underestimate the number of ghosts in a Lifetime original Christmas movie. Right, because we saw you know jump out way back, way back. You already found a ghost, and you're like, uh oh, second ghost. 
Where is and this then, coming from? It wasn't just two ghosts, Jesse. It was three it ghosts. It was three ghosts. Yeah, and th- there were some unnecessary ghosts in that one, too. I mean, I think <laughs> for lots of reasons. But the point here is that number of ghosts very important. So she, yeah. she meets the she meets this ghost, her mom, and realizes that it's real. And then her mom... And, and you know, the other thing that I thought was great about this is she says, she says, okay, now we're going to go back into the past... And Tony Braxton's reaction is, are you Christmas caroling me right now? Is that what's <laughs> happening? Like, that's a line in the movie, which is genius. Christmas Carol is a real piece of fiction in universe here, which is that's right. kind of shocking that they're adapting a Christmas Carol, and she knows. And this is actually, I think, uh, I think it's a bit of a misstep in the movie, because if she recognizes that she's being Christmas caroled... And that she's Scrooge. She should immediately have said, oh, I need to be better. Like, okay, right. I, I've learned my lesson now. You don't need to show me That's, uh, your horrific this, death. So you're on my side of the argument about the number of ghosts then. Ghost appears, <laughs> convinces you it's real. Christmas carol already exists. Do we need to go to the past, present, and future of Christmas? No, Jesse, we should just learn our lesson immediately. All I'm saying is that if you have read a Christmas carol, you should understand the lesson already. In A Christmas Carol, in the original book, The Christmas Carol did not exist. Right, but I'm saying if it does exist, you might not take it to heart because it is a piece of fiction. In, in the fiction of the I'm saying that Tony Braxton's character has read and probably seen multiple adaptations of A Christmas Carol because yes. it exists in the past in her universe. Yes. My point is that you might still exhibit Scrooge-like behavior... Until the moment that ghosts are real for you in that universe. As soon as ghosts is real and they're like, you know what? Let me take you through the same arc you've already read about. That's when you're like, all right, I need to change. And you don't need the movie ends, right? Like end of movie. I do do agree with you on that. I think that in this context where Christmas Carol is real, she did not need to be visited by her mother to then take her through all these multiple scenes. But there are other reasons why I don't. End of podcast. We only need one ghost. You've said it yourself. We only need one ghost. There, I think, are other reasons for that. Chief among them is this first Ghost of Christmas Past scene that we see is Alexis uh, with her then-fiancé. We learn that she was engaged previously, that she was living very happily. She was at home. She had a beautiful Christmas tree up. They were ready to celebrate Christmas when she gets a call and learns that her parents have been killed in a horrible car crash. This, in one fell swoop, explains why she doesn't have strong relationships, because after her parents' death, she kind of retreated into herself, closed herself off, she broke up with her fiancé. It also explains and, why and she's And breaks so up with them at Christmas time, because That's this true. is the anniversary of her parents' death. That's true. Uh, We learn why she's so invested in her job, because she tries to use that to avoid thinking about the grief and dealing with the grief of her parents' passing. And we learn why her life feels so empty. It's because her parents were ripped away from her. Contrast this, Jesse, Mm -hmm. with Ebenezer Scrooge in the original Christmas Carol. Ebenezer Scrooge in in the original Christmas Carol is just greedy. He's not traumatized. He's not angry about some past injustice. He just likes money, and that's why he needs the multiple ghosts, Jesse, because he believes... Wait, Jacob, I just thought of something. I just thought of something. Maybe I misunderstood A Christmas Carol based on what you're saying right now. Yes. Is DuckTales an adaptation of A Christmas Carol? (laughs) DuckTales is an adaptation of A Christmas Carol, but it's post 
Ebenezer being visited by the ghosts. Oh. Or Scrooge McDuck. So he still loves so money, but sense. he's also free with it with his nephews. This makes so much sense. <laughs> I'm going to have to go rewatch that now. The new, okay, the new Duck side Tales note, side note, <laughs> as a Christmas Carol theorist and expert, Jacob. Yes. What is the Darkwing Duck analog in the <laughs> Dickens universe? Jesse, it's Tiny Tim who's grown up. <laughs> okay. Come on. Come on. See, this is why I need you on the pod. This is why I need to come to the pod so I can find out these things. It's all fitting together for me now. Come on. All Jesse. right. All right. Well, let's continue. <laughs> okay. Alexis, having been shown this horrible scene again by her mother, uh, is immediately questioning, why did you show that to me? It's clear that Alexis relives this exact scene in her head every Christmas. And that right. she is being re-traumatized by her mother showing her this. And her mother says, this is the last Christmas where you were happy. This is the last time that you really felt joy in your life. And at this point, if I'm Alexis, I say, yes, because then both of you and your, my father were both killed in a horrible car accident. Of course I'm messed up. And, you know, she doesn't say that, but that kind of sentiment is really within her. And it's, I think, why the rest of the movie needs to continue. If she were to stop here, Jesse, I, yeah. I don't think she would have internalized the lesson that she needs to in order mm. to grow. Okay, so then we go to Ghost of Christmas Present, right? So she goes back to the present, yes. and her mom's not there, and she's like, okay, my mom is, is gone. I was wondering at this point, are we going to have Ghost number two? Yes. Right? That was my, that then, was my thought. I thought it was going to be Ghost number two. But then it turns out it's her mom again, Right. <laughs> So I was very invested in the one ghost theory at this point. Yeah, we were going back and forth. I was saying, okay, clearly it's not three ghosts, but one ghost is not going to do it. She definitely needs more than one ghost. But, but we're still on one ghost. One point, ghost was still, still in place. One ghost was still in play. So her mom shows up again and says, okay, we're going to go see these other things. So her mother takes her to her ex-boyfriend Mark's house. So we, go, we see Mark uh, going throughout the day. This is somewhat in the past, so it's Christmas present, but it's like last week, yes. right? And we're seeing Mark buying an engagement ring at a jewelry store. He's apparently going to no, propose to her. not at a jewelry store. The guy, the jeweler has come to his house. Oh, no, that's right. And that's right. We showing him this. a case yeah, 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 yeah. full of, of rings. So this was a personal it. shopping experience. The jeweler yes. comes to their house. This is something you didn't know existed, but that's because you don't shop for jewelry the way I shop yeah, for jewelry. I'm not, I'm I do not have my own jeweler. Gentleman. Jacob. I don't know how you buy things for your wife, jewelry for if this person doesn't show up at your house. I'm going to tell you that I'm always doing private jewelry. Um, which, this is Jesse, a true statement. Isn't that, isn't that just when you go and visit your mother-in-law? My mother-in-law does do this service for other people. So yes, <laughs> that is what happens. But my point here is <laughs> that, you know, he has the private jeweler over. Uh, he's buying the engagement ring. He's going to propose to her when they're in Bali. We then flash forward a, a, a few to see him at a, a bar sort of drowning in sorrows. And he, he sort of has a little flirtatious conversation with the waitress, which mm -hmm. I thought was going to be important later, but turned out to be unimportant. Yeah, bit of a red herring. herring. You know, her mom is showing her sort of her impact of her behavior, her closing herself off mm -hmm. to other people in her life. Now, yeah. one thing that was quite confusing for me in this point was that... She's then taken to her sort of COO. Is it her COO's house? Yeah. 
Yeah. So her CEO, Jeff, her her number two in the financial company, Jeff, who's sort of the mediating influence between her very domineering role in the company and all of the other employees. He's sort of like to the other employees, like, let me go talk to her. I've been in business with her for a long time. I'm her sort of right hand uh, man. We go to his house and we learn that he's going to lose his house because he had to remortgage it to pay for medical treatments for his granddaughter. Right. But while we're seeing that, here's the thing that I was actually confused about, Jacob, is that the employee Jeff and her boyfriend, Mark, look really, really similar to me. (laughs) They're both very older gentlemen, white with very white hair. They have sort of the same style. And so I was just like, they're flipping back and forth between them. And they're clearly different people, but they look similar enough to me that I was always like, wait, which one of these? Like, is this the boyfriend? Is this the uh, employee? Like, what's happening here? So I think maybe a little bit more separation there. We'll the just other have thing to... that confused me, Jesse, mm-hmm. is why am I supposed to care about this incredibly wealthy financial manager who did not get his Christmas bonus? Why am I supposed to care about that? This movie was, was made in 2018. I'm not invested in Bob Cratchit being an investment banker. The, the government's going to bail him out. Too big to fail. He's but... like, oh, I had to take out a second mortgage on my giant mansion. His family says, oh, why don't you sell the house? Why don't you just sell the house and and downsize? And he's like, no, my wife loves it. So we're going to stay here. It's like, well, then I feel like you have, you know, yes, the American health system is terrible. But you've been a very successful financial banker for a long time. Why are you in this situation? And why should I be upset that you are now suffering? Yeah. So, so they, we see this effect of her being, you know, not giving Christmas bonuses, dumping her boyfriend just because of her past trauma, and then she gets brought back, and then we're, her mother disappears again, and at this point, I was like, okay, time for Christmas future. It's going to be her mom again, because the first two ones were her mom, and unfortunately mm. for me, it turned out that the ghost of Christmas <laughs> future was her dad, right? So her dad yes. shows up. Two ghosts. <sighs> Two ghosts. Split right down the middle. Didn't satisfy either Two of Two ghosts. I was so disappointed. I think they should have stuck to their guns with one ghost. But anyway, so her father appears. Uh, her parents together, her mom also appears at the same time. And they take her into the future where we see that she's dying, friendless and alone, in a hospital bed on Christmas because of the way her behavior. She's just not focused on building relationships in her life. This is now about minute 55 in the movie, and this is an hour and 20 minutes, right? Yes. So there was still half an hour left, and I was like, what's going to happen now? This is the end of A Christmas Carol. Yeah. We're going into, you know, season eight Game of Thrones. No book to left to, to work from. What's going to happen here? Um, well, they have to land the plane very delicately here uh, once they return. I think, <laughs> I think that clearly... You should have a dragon melt down the wall that's like an <laughs> ice dragon, because that yeah. makes sense. Yes. Once she returns... I'm talking about the wall up. around her heart, the metaphorical yeah, wall of ice around was, her heart. It was very clear. I was trying to get around that. It's a little too on the nose. You're when still she, upset about that, I know. When she wakes up, when Alexis wakes up, in one of the perhaps even more on the nose flourishes of this movie, she goes out, out to her living room and she finds on the bookshelf a copy of A Christmas Carol, which has been left for her by her mother. And she says, oh, you left me a copy of A Christmas Carol. 
which is just. <laughs> Maybe she hadn't read it in a while. It's a nice I gift. Was it a first edition? This this may be the only adaptation of a book where they've had a copy of the book in the movie. I cannot think of another one. Like, what it's, about the it's never like if Harry Potter? Story. If Jacob, Harry Potter never ending in year one, ne- never ending if, story. It's fair. That's fair. But yeah, it's like if Harry Potter spoiler alert picks up a copy of Harry Potter and flips to the end. He goes, "Oh, Quirrell has Lord Voldemort in the back of his head." She could have just done, gotten the book earlier, flipped to the end, and said, oh, I need to be good to people. Right? Like, again, you're reinforcing the fact that she should already have understood these rules. Wait a minute. Quirrell <laughs> was the one that had Voldemort? And that, that oh. book makes a lot more sense now. I'm going to edit in a spoiler alert into the, uh, into the episode. <laughs> hold on. Hold also. On. Spoiler alert. I'm just going to cut that. Cut that around. So we're going to get some comments about Harry Potter now from the gallery. (laughs) No, we're not talking about that, Elisa. Move on. All right. So, you know, having learned her lesson, she now decides to, you know, do the Scrooge turn, right? Mm -hmm. Is that the technical term for it? The Scrooge turn? Yes. Yeah. And, and, and then start acting. So she goes back to her office where all her employees are there because it's Christmas day. Well, first right? she she goes to her uh, to Jeff's house, mm-hmm. where he's still with his family, and he's preparing right. to go into the office. Right. And she says to him, "Look, I haven't treated you right. You've been by my side all these years. Here's a check." And she gives mm-hmm. him a check, and we're not told how much money it is, but it's clearly but it's enough to make him six or seven figures. That's right, because this is going to solve his money problem. She says, "Here's a check, and I'm going to promote you." Okay, mm-hmm. which again. Feels a lot like a bailout, and I'm just not in the cultural zeitgeist of these big financial guys being bailed out, okay? I'm but not it is it. a fantasy story where the rich black female executive gets to save <laughs> the destitute rich white guy, right? <laughs> like, he made poor financial decisions. He needs to be bailed out. Who does he go to? His one black friend. Come on, right? Jesse, this what this movie was kind of a blindside for me. This was, yeah, well, look, you know, it was the reverse blindside. You're right. Uh, I think this is pretty great. It's a nice turnaround, right? I What I was a little bit disappointed by is that we didn't have the sassy white friend that, yes. you know, doesn't get a romantic partner by the end of the movie. Yes. Maybe if Mark had been a little bit more sassy, he could have done that. Yeah, Mark should have been more sassy. Uh, so anyway, she also goes back to her office. I was expecting the Cratchit family to be like her assistant, who we see a couple times messing up and not having a lot of money, or the new girl. There's like a new employee who's like weirded out by the fact that she's so Scrooge-like. Mm-hmm. I feel like they could have been more on the nose by having her assistant or somebody else say that she's such a Scrooge. Like I think they mm-hmm. could have worked that in somehow into the dialogue where she like cancels the Christmas bonus and is like, "Oh, what a Scrooge." You know, we could have seen that. But anyway, she goes back to the office. She gives them their bonuses. Says, take the day off. It's actually Christmas. The markets are closed. You can't do anything anyways. And then she goes and talks to Mark for real this time. I kept expecting the waitress to be there. Um, <laughs> she opens the was, door. At, right. She opens the door and Mark is like, oh, I didn't expect to see you here. And I'm thinking in my head, it's a great moment for there to be a call for the like, back. Hey, Mark, hey, come back to uh, bed. Yeah. yeah, and it's the waitress. But, <laughs> but no. nope. No, it's just Mark by himself. Just you know, sort of sad, and she talks to him, and they, he forgives her, and they break up officially. 
She then goes back, and we really haven't touched on Justin this entire time, but her driver, turns out, has only been driving her around, and he is actually the CEO of his own taxi and limousine company with over 100 black car taxis, right? Yeah. So um, he's enormously successful, and he's just been driving her around. Because he, because he, he has a crush for a crush on her. She finds out that he actually has this company. She confesses uh, her love for him. And he says, okay, well, we got to go to this house. So he takes her back to the house he took her to in the beginning to show her the lights. And it turns out that it's actually his house in this yes, fancy. He owns, it. he owns it. And so she's like, wow, I didn't know you had all this money. And he's like, yeah, I own this car company. And I have 100 cars and like all these employees. And she's like, oh. Well, I guess I can date you now, and then they make out, and that's the end of the movie. What? <laughs> that was my reaction as well. I was very confused. It was it was a little bit confusing movie. And so with that, Jacob, I think we should transition <laughs> to our segment, Christmas Confusions. Say what? Oh, Jesse, every every week when we watch these LOCMs, mm-hmm. there's always something about the movie that is incredibly confusing to us. Whether it's a plot right. hole, whether it's inconsistent theming, whether it's a character who disappears out of nowhere, something about them is confusing to us. What, to you, Jesse, was the most confusing part of this movie? Well, Jacob, I think the first thing was is Christmas. The title of the movie is Every Day is Christmas. How is everyday Christmas? What does that have to do with this movie? Christmas reservations remains the gold standard so far of our excitement around the title of the movie matching the plot of the movie in a very direct or wordplay type of way. Yeah. This movie did not take place every day at Christmas. First, it took place majority on Christmas Eve. Mm -hmm. Second... Even in the flashbacks. It was not at Christmas. It was not always at Christmas. She flashed back to last week, to December like yeah. 17th or something, mm-hmm. to see yeah. Mark buying an engagement ring. So I think that's confusing. I think what they were going for here, Jacob, is that she should live every day as if it were Christmas. Right? Like every day is a present for you. But that was never really fully explained. Even then, she hated Christmas, and she spent yeah. most of the time being upset about Christmas. She lived every day like it was Christmas. She'd be living it like her parents had just died. Yeah. And it's not... Well, I'm know, saying not... that her parents were trying to teach her that she should live every day as if it was a present to herself, but I might be reading too much into this. I think you're giving the movie a lot of credit, Jesse, where I don't think mm. the movie necessarily earned it. Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> what was oh, what thing confused you, Jacob? What confused me the most, Jesse, and I, I I brought it up during the during the reason for the season, but what confused me most was why I'm supposed to feel any kind of empathy towards these monsters who have destroyed our economic system. Uh, we're dealing with people who are living in. Well, okay, mansions. we don't know if Tony. Bra- we don't know what kind of investor Tony Braxton is. You're right. I'm sure she was investing in nonprofits, and that's yeah. why that's why she was able to live in this giant penthouse, and her. Second in command had this enormous mansion. Jacob, That's probably it. Jacob, Jacob. I'm sorry, but I was working on a little bit of an advertising deal with Robinhood Investments, <laughs> and I think that's out the window now. Unfortunately, 
We're losing sponsors every episode. Hyundai, <laughs> Hyundai, Robinhood, all these potential deals just falling through for us. So Jesse, I've still got a lot in crypto, so we should be okay. Okay. Dogecoin okay. is going to the moon any moment now. <laughs> all right. Well, anyway, that was hopefully DraftKings maybe is why why do you undercut your message mm-hmm. when which is your message is uh, of a Christmas Carol and of this movie is be generous and be kind and be supportive. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't go to a homeless shelter and spend Christmas Eve or Christmas day giving out food at a homeless shelter. You know, mm-hmm. she doesn't uh, go Jacob, to, but you know, who's really hurting you know, in our society, the, the bank people, bankers with second mortgages. Okay. <laughs> That's who's really hurting in our society. So we need to help them out. That's what she's doing. She's, I'm she's out just... there. What? <laughs> I'm losing it. You're losing it. All I'm it? saying is, all I'm saying is that man is first on the menu when we eat the oh, rich. Okay. All right. Well, here's my <laughs> here's here's my thing that I want to bring up at this juncture. All right. Mm-hmm. So of the characters that we see, so you're saying like the characters in this movie are really really wealthy, right? Like even the people that work for her have high yeah. paying jobs, right? Like yes. they are traders. Maybe they're working a lot of hours, but they are getting compensated. Yeah. Right. So this is not people working making thirty grand a year, right? Yeah. So everyone we see is this high-powered, wealthy individual in the movie, right? Mm-hmm. Michael J. White is said to be successful, right? And he owns this house in the Atlanta suburbs. Now we're not told what did suburb you go on it is. Zillow? No, Jesse, I did, did you not. Go on I did not. I did not go on Zillow here, Jacob. <laughs> but what I did go on was several different business for sale, like businessforsale.net and other places, <laughs> just to look up how much does a taxi and limousine company cost if I were to buy it in Atlanta, Georgia. All right, okay. Jacob? All Jacob, right. turnkey ready. All right, turnkey okay. ready. Four employees, okay, four employees, taxi black car service, four employees, all right, uh-huh. Cash flow three hundred ninety five k a year, uh huh, eight hundred thousand dollars. Jacob, he has a hundred cars. <laughs> so he's making. He, he, we can we can assume he's making maybe twenty times that at least. It's at least this guy is hundred cars. Is insanely wealthy. Taxi, taxi and limousine. This guy has money. All right, black car. <laughs> all right, he's doing all of the executives in the Atlanta area. That's Coca Cola. All right, that's all of those. Like, it is a hub for Delta for a reason. There are a lot of Fortune 500 companies there. A lot of executives need to get around places quickly, have their own driver service. This man is probably wealthier than everyone else in the movie. Why is this not shown? All right, I'm going nuts over here. I looked, I was like, I can't believe this. Four employees. He has 100 cars. Wow. I want to see the movie about Michael J. White's Christmas because his family interactions, we didn't even get into it. But his family interactions with his sister, who turns out is actually Tony Braxton's sister, right? Um, in, is played in real by, life. The in real life is, 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 is played by Tony Braxton's sister, Tawanda. I wanted to see that movie. Him, his mom, his sister. You know, they're giving him grief, busting his balls about, like, his crush on Tony Braxton. And like, hey, when are you going to ask her out? Huh? Uh, oh. Mm-hmm. In fact, there's a great scene where she shows up at his house at the end. And his sister is there, but she, like, runs out the back door and is, like, running by the window. And Tony Brex is like, did I just see someone run by? And he was like, oh, that's my sister. Don't worry about it. (laughs) 
This is great stuff. It's just real natural, and, and and I thought like a positive family experience, which was such a contrast from from Merry Little Christmas. Yeah. Equally felt real. Equally felt yeah. real, but but such a contrast. So yeah, I mean, I was confused, Jacob. There, why wasn't the whole movie about how rich Michael J. White was? <laughs> <laughs> right. This is like finding out that like your driver turns out to be Bill Gates. Right. Like Bill <laughs> Gates has just been driving you around. Cause he, cause he loves you. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's a different story. It probably shouldn't go down this tangent. But, <laughs> but moving on. So anyway, so let's segue quickly to our Christmas themes. Every week, we like to really examine what do we learn about Christmas from this movie? We think about the themes that come across. There are a lot of very standard Christmas themes, but there are also lifetime original Christmas movie specific themes that I think are equally valuable in understanding. What really came across to you, Jesse, in this movie in terms of the theming? Well, Jacob, uh, I learned that Christmas Carol has something to do with Christmas. That's what I learned. I should just read that book. You should. It's a wonderful... You're baiting me again. I get it. All right. It's fine. It's fine. It's a great book. We suggest all of our podcast listeners should go out and read A Christmas Carol. I think that uh, you should also watch this movie. It's super short. It's a super short book. You can read it in one mm-hmm. sitting. You mm-hmm. could also... And mm-hmm. I don't generally recommend and this. And you've never you told me this before. Just watch, you could also just go out and watch one of the many fantastic adaptations. Also a good way to understand the story. I think it's a valuable story. It's got a good message. Yeah, it's a little saccharine, but sometimes we need that. And Jacob, here's the thing the I learned about Christmas. 21st century. From this movie. Is okay. that if you really want someone to fall in love with you around Christmas, make sure that your house is well decorated with lights. Okay? Put up the Christmas angels. Maybe even have the one that animates. You know, the one that mm-hmm. looks like the reindeer is jumping. Perfect. Yep. All right? That's, That's a good choice. That That's a good is choice. the way to your significant other's heart. That's what I learned. For me, the theme that came across in this movie, and I'm, it was unique. I've not seen this theme in any of the other movies that we've watched on this list. The theme that came across to me was one of accepting grief. Alexis had internalized her grief, but had never really dealt with it, that she was reliving this trauma over and over again for 20 years and had completely shut herself off. And that, this movie used the trappings of a Christmas carol, the ghosts coming back, looking at past, present, future Christmases, in order to show how not dealing with grief can really affect a person. And that yep. theme of accepting your grief and living through it and moving forward and opening yourself up to relationships, I, I thought was a very powerful theme and not one that we'd seen before. Yeah, absolutely, Jacob. And I thought that this was, you know, I think maybe Christmas Carol could have done a little bit more of that, the book, you know? Jesse, you're going to have some grief in a minute. All right. (laughs) Fly to your house. (laughs) You're going to fly to my house and bring your dog? You're going to bring your dog? Hey, wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. We had this discussion in our pre-pod meeting, and I think our (laughs) listeners deserve to hear about it. So first of all, I just at said, like, you're going to bring your dog with you when you fly here, right? <laughs> and I just want to flashback, Merry Little Christmas, Kiara, the youngest sister, shows up and has her dog, Louis V, who we loved, unannounced. 
Also in Merry Little Christmas, Kiara is in charge of bringing the Black Angel, Treetopper. Here's the question, Jacob. The the airline lost her luggage, which is why the Christmas <laughs> Treetopper is not there at the beginning of the movie. And this is a big plot point. How did they lose her luggage, but not her dog? Where did this 80-pound golden retriever, 60-pound golden retriever, Louis V, was he underneath the plane? Was she? Did she he classify allow, him? They don't allow that. Did she classify the, him as an emotional support animal? He wasn't wearing a vest during the movie, so... I, yeah, I don't well, know. Well, maybe she had him a vest just while she was in the airport. I don't know. This is an unanswered question. I need to talk... Let's. Can we write those writers on Twitter or something? I need some answers. I've been DMing Kelly Rowland. She has not responded. Mm, sure. Uh, to All right. my, any of my questions. Well... On that note, let's move on to our New Year's resolutions. In this segment, uh, New Year's resolutions, we pick one question and we propose tweaks to the movie where one of our Christmas confusions will how we would resolve it. So, Jacob, what would you change about this movie? Jesse, I think that this movie suffered uh, from... From too many trying... ghosts. I absolutely no. agree. Change Jesse, it to one ghost. Turn. You'll get movie your Movie solved. Movie <laughs> solved. <laughs> I think this movie suffered from trying to adhere to both A Christmas Carol, which is a very well-understood, well-adapted story, mm-hmm. as well as the trappings of a Lifetime original Christmas movie, which are all about relationships and romances and so i think that in trying to be both things at once it wasn't really good at either of them Mm -hmm. so what i would do is i would refocus the movie more as a modern true retelling of a christmas carol you could still have the movie be about alexis being a financial planner or a banker investor it's not clear what she is but it could still be about that but you change the context of the people around her you make the driver actually be someone who is working five different jobs in order to survive you make the bob cratchit character actually just a secretary or an assistant who is working for pennies but this is the only job that they have that they that they can find and she really mistreats him in the beginning and that with those small changes then the response when she does go through this process of becoming a better person, she can have a much more powerful and profound effect that speaks to the themes of generosity and giving. It means, in my opinion, it means a lot more if the Ebenezer Scrooge character is going out and being generous to people who are truly destitute, to people who are truly Mm -hmm. in need Mm -hmm. of help, rather than saying, okay, well, the bonus that I promised you originally that I took away, Jacob, I'm giving it back to uh, you. We, we understand, okay? <laughs> Look, second mortgages are hard, all right? And I think that she's appropriately helping out those with true challenges in this difficult set of conditions. And and frankly, I would go the other way, Jacob. I'm going to disagree with you. I think we need to lean more into it being a Lifetime original Christmas movie. And I want to mm-hmm. know more about Michael J. White, all right? I want more of their interactions. I don't think they had enough interactions, and I thought he, all of their interactions were very cute. His interactions with his family were amazing. I would have leaned yes. more heavily into that direction 
would have cut out at least one of the ghosts, maybe the dad. I think in that situation, you cut out both ghosts. You just make mm. it not a Christmas Carol at all, and you just have I it. Think be you a can movie have a Christmas about... Carol, but you only need one ghost. I mean, I think that's, we've covered <laughs> you this. Always already. say that, and it's never uh, true. <laughs> all right, uh, on that <laughs> on that disagreement, let's move on to our white elephant exchange. <laughs> One of our favorite things about Lockham's is that every movie, it seems, is titled with a pun. And then the movie is built around the pun. And so with White Elephant Exchange, we like to take the title of the movie and pitch a new movie based off of that title. So if we were given the title, Lifetime Execs come to us and they say, all right, we need to, you to write a movie based off of the title, Every Day is Christmas. What are you going to do with it? So, Jacob, what's your pitch? My pitch, Jesse, and this is, it's going to be fairly similar to other movies that you have. You're going to take Bill Murray, right? Okay. He's 70 years old. Yeah. He's been living his life. He's been living a life of decadence, Mm -hmm. of miserliness, Mm -hmm. uh, not giving anything to the common man, really Mm -hmm. lording it over everyone else. He spends Christmas Day, and he has just been really reveling in how much he has over everyone else. He's pretty happy about that goes to bed he wakes up and what's this christmas music starts playing he's shocked he doesn't know what's going on he realizes it's christmas day yeah and as he he goes through it again is this a sequel to groundhog day that you're you're selling me here jacob (laughs) that's absolutely what i'm pitching jesse i'm pitching every day it's christmas what are we doing here okay (laughs) groundhog day two christmas day is this what you're suggesting every day is christmas and this is just bill murray learning that you know mm-hmm. he's gotten old he's forgotten the lessons okay of i'm in day. but only if we can attach sofia coppola as the director okay <laughs> that's what i know. I again i dm'd her no response no response <laughs> all right well i have one for <laughs> I'm gonna you keep jacob. Reaching out. i have one for you jacob so every day is christmas i think with all of these lifetime original christmas movies you know how we've discussed 12 days of christmas people aren't doing the actual meaning of the 12 days of christmas yes they're using the number 12 they're messing around I think we also don't use the original meaning of the term Christmas. So I would pitch a movie in which every day is actually Christmas and we go through a full year where a new prophet or messiah is born (laughs) on every day. (laughs) And then we just have competing religions and like the North Star keeps shining and angels keep showing up. And everyone's like, but you said this yesterday. I'm like, no, you also said it. So people talk about the second coming, Jacob, uh, you know, prophesying the end of days. I, what about the 70th coming? The 103rd coming, all right? At the end of the year, you've got a thousand wise men all competing to give gifts to these many children. That's right. That's right. Which wise? Who are the wisest of the wise men if you have a lot of wise men? That's my question. So I think that's going to be a great movie, and we could really get into a dogma situation. You know, maybe we get, you know, Kevin Smith attached somehow. Jesse, I he, he did actually respond to my DM. He said yeah. no. Oh, yeah, you okay. said no. All right. Well, we'll have to we'll have to shelve that project for now. <laughs> All right. So we've we've exchanged our random uh, movie pitches, and now we're going to talk about Jacob. Where would you put this movie? Let's check our list twice. Where in our rankings? Recall that uh, top of our list on the second day of Christmas with Mark Ruffalo. Bottom of our list, Sweet Mountain Christmas, really closely tied with Merry Little Christmas. Where does this one fall for you? This movie for me is going to fall pretty much in the middle. Mm -hmm. Jesse, I'm 
I'm ranking it. I'm ranking above 12 Minute Christmas. I love K. Chen, but mm-hmm. this movie did bring Christmas themes. It wasn't, yeah. I think, as loyal to A Christmas Carol as it needed to be, so that's going to drop it down some. Here's the real question, Jake. I yeah. think we can agree on the second day of Christmas, number one. Christmas yes. Reservations, number two. Radio yes. Christmas, number three. Yes. Where does this one compare with A Christmas Wish? That's, that is the difficulty, Jesse. I'm, because of its fidelity to the Lifetime Original Christmas movie formula, mm-hmm. I am going to put A Christmas Wish above this wow. movie for me. Wow. I am going to put it above this movie for me. What if it had had a third ghost? Would that have moved it up? Yeah, Jesse, if it had a third ghost, we wouldn't be having this discussion, all right? Okay. That's <laughs> be a different situation. That's true. All right. Well, there you have it. A bombshell. I thought that Christmas Carol was going to push it over a Christmas wish. A Christmas it's, wish, again, let's not, not forget the one that does have the abridged Christmas Carol in it that started this whole argument. So I think I think abridged Christmas Carol wins. I think that we see that which one of these is less abridged Christmas version Jesse, of Christmas Carol. I would like Carol. to change my answer. No, it's locked like in. We have it on tape. Number four. <laughs> All right. So there we go. All right. So on that bombshell. Wait, what's that, Jacob? I, I, I'm hearing something, Jesse. I, it's a strange noise in the background. What is that? It's pretty spooky. Uh, you know what? I already believe in ghosts because I watched this movie. <laughs> so, so we know that it is the ghost of Christmas future. And in this segment, we discuss what we will be watching in next week in our episode, so you guys can watch it ahead of time to enjoy along with us. And we will be watching Always and Forever Christmas. Uh, Lexi Lawson plays a marketing exec who inherits her grandfather's year-round Christmas store in Vermont. I'm going to imagine that this is not an all-black cast, Jacob. <laughs> I don't think it is, Jesse. I think we're, we're off of that for at least this time. Okay. Uh, Since she doesn't live in Vermont, she makes the wise decision to sell it for a bunch of cash to an athleisure company. Mrs. Claus, played by Beth Bodrick, a.k.a. Aunt Zelda, has her own business ideas, though, and thanks to a little help from Christmas Magic and a handsome diner owner who may or may not have appeared on Gilmore Girls and doesn't (laughs) mind a cranky customer, it might just be Christmas forever, but not in a Nightmare Before Christmas way or even in a Every Day is Christmas, Groundhog Day 2 type of way. So we will be watching that, and we will see you next (laughs) week for our episode on Always and Forever Christmas. So Jacob, with that, I'm going to go get my hot cocoa stores ready um, Mm -hmm. before our big winter storm rolls in, and I wish you a Merry Christmas. Thank you. Merry Christmas to all. Thank you, Virginia Wolf. (laughs) (laughs) Merry Christmas to all. And to all, a good night. This will be a very special Christmas for you, me, and KKP. So join us to have the Christmas of a lifetime. Christmas of a lifetime. So join us to have the Christmas of a lifetime. Christmas of a lifetime.
uh, Virginia Woolf really popularized that Merry Christmas phrase. That was that was what I learned earlier. Yeah, very very good. 